Growing up, I was always afraid to watch horror movies, but, but I had enough interest to kind of keep me engaged and enough interest to actually watch them sometimes. But what I would find myself doing is when the really intense scenes came, I would, out of fear, kind of plug my ears, but out of curiosity, I'd keep my eyes open. Now, what difference does that make? Why would I plug my ears? Well, we all know that the soundtrack shapes the experience. And this is, this is true um, of movies, of course. Uh, and, and you can see this by, if you just go on YouTube and you look for recuts of old movie trailers like The Shining, uh, they'll take a movie like that and they'll put some bubbly music to it and almost pitch it as a rom-com. Because we know that the soundtrack shapes the experience. And this is true not just of movies. It's true of your life as well. Um, if you're like me, all it takes is a song from high school to come on the radio or on Spotify, and immediately you're transported back to that space and that time. Uh, in 2013, I lived in Tacoma, Washington, and I, was, I didn't have a car, so somebody actually gave me a car to use for the summer. Uh, it was a stick shift in the mountains. That's another story. But uh, when I was driving this car around, there was only a few CDs, and so one of those CDs was Ray LaMontagne. And to this day, I cannot hear his song, Trouble, without being transported back to the mountains of Tacoma, Washington. So I say this because sound, songs become the soundtracks for seasons of our lives. And you were made for this. Ever the pessimist, the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche says this, without music, life would be a mistake. And what he's getting at is the fact that we need songs for our life because soundtracks shape our experience. And to that, the psalms are the soundtrack of the saints. The songs have always been, the psalms have always been the soundtrack of the saints. They always have been, they always will be. Um, the father of church history, a guy named Eusebius, wrote in the fourth century this. He said, the command to sing psalms in the name of the Lord was obeyed by everyone in every place, for the command to sing is in force in all churches which exist among the nations, throughout the whole world, in towns and in villages and in the fields. In other words, the Psalms have been, are, and always will be the soundtrack of the saints. So I want to look at this command to sing the Psalms from Ephesians 5, and we're going to look at it under three headings. The first one is, be filled with the Spirit. The second one is sing to one another, and the third one is sing to the Lord. Again, be filled with the Spirit, sing to one another, and sing to the Lord. Let's look at be filled with the Spirit together. Uh, if you have the text in front of you, you'll, you'll need it as we go through it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul contrasts here getting drunk versus being full of the Spirit inebriation with spirited celebration, drinking down spirits, you tracking with me, versus flowing with the spirit. And so this is important because if you remember in Acts chapter 2 when the spirit was first given to the whole church, uh, do you remember what some people mocked them with? They said, hey, you're full of new wine. And I love, <laughs> I love Peter's response because he says, hey, listen, these people aren't drunk. It's only 9 a.m. Clearly, Peter was not a frat guy during football season. And so this is what Paul wants us to see, is that when you get drunk, you are filled with something that permeates you and influences your actions. And when you're filled with the Spirit, you're filled with someone 
that permeates you and influences your actions. So drunkenness is off limits for Christians because there's a better way of being lifted above the depression and monotony of life. There's a better way of removing self-consciousness and gaining a sense of exhilaration than by using intoxicants. It's by being filled with the Spirit. Now, if you look at this command, it's interesting. The command is be filled, which is a passive command. It means that it's something that's done to you. It's also in the present tense, which means that it's an ongoing reality. You could translate this, let the Holy Spirit keep filling you. It's not a one and done kind of thing. And so Paul says that you ought to be under the influence, if you will. But what he's saying is not of alcohol, but of the new wine of the new creation, the spirit of the living God. Paul gets this from the Psalms. Psalm chapter 4, verse 7 says this, You have put more joy in my heart than, when they, ha- than they have when their grain and wine abound. Riffing on Ephesians 5, uh, one of the early church fathers, a guy named John Chrysostom in the turn of the 5th century says this, Do you want to be happy? I offer you a drink that is spiritual. This is not a drink for drunkenness. This does not cause you to babble. It does not disturb your vision. Here it is. Learn to sing the Psalms. Then you will see pleasure indeed. Those who have learned to sing the Psalms are easily filled with the Holy Spirit. John Chrysostom's not off. He's talking about the text that we're in today. And so to be filled with the Spirit is an ongoing posture of active receptivity rather than resistance. Being filled with wine intoxicates us, but being filled with the Spirit stimulates us to speak, to sing, to thank, and to submit to one another and to the Lord. And so let's look at these now. Our second point is to sing to one another. Look at Ephesians 5, 18 again. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ in verse 21. Now, when I first came across this verse, I actually created a Spotify playlist that was called Psalms, Hymns, and Spiritual Songs. And guess what I put on there? Uh, For Psalms, I took some of the songs that we've been singing, these biblical psalms. That was pretty clear to me. For hymns, I had songs like Come Thou Fount and Be Thou My Vision, obviously hymns. And for spiritual songs, I put those really good ones that repeat the same chorus like 10 times until you really feel it, right? Because then that's spiritual. And so I put this compilation together, and it wasn't until later that I realized that psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is actually referring to the biblical psalms. What I mean is, in the Old Testament, those words are all used to refer to different types of psalms. So when Paul says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, he's saying the psalms, the whole book, don't leave any out. Some churches have taken this to mean that only the psalms should be used in gathered corporate worship. And, and this is their logic. Why would we so- sing songs written by men when we have songs written by God? Kind of sound, right? I actually don't entirely agree with them, but, but here's the thing I do believe. Their exclusive psalm singing is more biblical than exclusively no psalm singing that happens in most churches today. So to obey Paul, we need to take up this hymnal. We've got to sing the psalms. But notice in verse 19, it says, address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Aren't we singing to God? Why would we sing these to one another? The reason is because singing is sociological. 
What I mean by that is people are joined together by singing together. This is why soldiers in boot camp sing chants while they go on their runs. It's why at freshman orientation, students learn their team's fight song. Victory is our cry, V-I-C-T-O-R-Y, go Knights. And so this happens because we're being indoctrinated to be a people, to be joined together by singing together. It's why Psalm 136 sounds actually more like a football chant in honor of Yahweh's victory. Sion, king of the Amorites, his love endures forever. Og, king of Bashan, his love endures forever. You can kind of hear the rhythm to it. It's a battle cry. People are joined together by singing together. This is why the, the philosopher Andrew Fletcher famously said, let me write the songs of a nation and I don't care who writes the laws. Because by singing together, we're joined together. And so singing the Psalms actually forms us as a people around love of God and love of neighbor. Um, this is why St. Jerome in the fourth century said, the Psalms are our love songs. So as we're formed to sing in love of the self-giving God, we begin to, as verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit is a humble spirit. He forms us to care about the cares of others. And so as we sing the Psalms, there are times when it will express not what I'm feeling, but what my brothers and sisters are feeling. This matters. They, they actually bring us outside of ourselves. The Cambridge scholar David Ford says this about, he says, the I of the Psalms. And by that, what he means is when the Psalms say things like, I will sing to the Lord. He's saying that. The I of the Psalms accommodates a vast congregation of individuals down through the centuries and around the world today. They are all somehow embraced in this I. A vast array of stories and situations, sufferings and blessings, joys and deaths have been read and prayed into the Psalms by those who have identified with their first person. It amounts to an extraordinarily capacious and hospitable I. In other words, as you take up Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you might not actually be walking through a dark valley. But as you begin to sing that psalm together in the congregation of your brothers and sisters, you are reminded that there are people walking through darker valleys than you. And so as we sing the psalms, we actually are moved to love one another, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so the psalms shape us to be lovers of one another, yes, but also lovers of God. And so let's look at point three, which is sing to the Lord. Get the text in front of you again, Ephesians 5, verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit, 19. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What kind of God is this that to be filled with his Spirit results in singing? Think about that for a moment. In the Bible, there are more than 400 times that singing is referenced. 50 of those are commands. Why does God care so much that we sing? Because God is a singing God. Pause there. Like, meditate on that. Our God sings. I don't know if you noticed it, but this passage has a Trinitarian nature to it. Did you see that? When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we give thanks to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are musical harmony. The true and living God is the deep resonance of all music. 
Think about this. If you play a chord, you can hear each note reverberating, yet they are all one. Similarly, the community of the Trinity live in a perfect harmony of unity and diversity. Our God is a singing God. But this is the God who creates, who created all things. Some have actually argued that if you read Genesis chapter 1, you'll notice that there is rhythm and repetition. is almost musical. Think about this. And God said, let there be, and it was so. And God let, said, let there be, and it was so. There's rhythmic nature to the way that Genesis 1 works. And so this is rhythmically repeated for six days of creation. It's why C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien have portrayed creation as being sung into existence. They're not far off. But this God is the God who's actually given us those words to put in our mouths and sing back to him. This is why singing the Psalms is so powerful. Because when we sing the Psalms, we take God's very words in our mouths and the, the word that creates and destroys, the word that gives life and breath and takes it away. And we all know that there's some soprano singers that can sing at a certain pitch that, you know, breaks champagne glasses or something like that, right? Well, Psalm 29 says this, the voice of the Lord shatters cedar trees and makes pregnant animals give birth. How is that for resonant frequency? The voice of the Lord doesn't just sing everything into being, but he sings over his people. Zephaniah 3.17 says, the Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. Hear this. He will exalt over you with loud singing. He's not even half-hearted about it. God sings the song of songs over his people. And yet these are the very people that are easily led astray by siren songs. You might know this story, right? The story from Homer's Odyssey about Odysseus and his band of warriors who are trying to get home to Greece. And, and as they're traveling through the Aegean Sea, they face many perils along the way. And maybe the most challenging of all of them is the island of the Sirens. This island is filled with a lovely but dangerous group of creatures who lure sailors by their music and their singing until they shipwreck on the rocks. The songs are irresistible because they speak directly to the sailors' longings. And so Odysseus, being warned about this, tells his, his sailors to, to fill their ears with beeswax. Uh, and then they, he, he actually asks them, because he wants to hear the song so badly, he wants to hear what it's all about, he asks them to lash him to the mast, and no matter what, under any circumstances, do not untie him. And so as they sail past the island of the sirens, Odysseus cries out and begs and pleads with his sailors to untie him from the mast, but they don't do it because they know that he will just jump overboard to his death. And so listen, the siren songs of power and of pride, of arrogance and of victimhood, of lust and of laziness are always going to be calling out to be the soundtrack of your life. And so we need to lash ourselves to the mass of Jesus' cross because this God is not only the one who creates or sings over his people, it's the one who redeems his people. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, Matthew 26, 30 says that he sang a hymn with his disciples. I love that. About to be going into the worst days of his life, and what does he do? He sings with his disciples. We actually know that the Psalms that he was singing, because remember, hymn means psalm, was Psalms 113 through 118. 
And so as Jesus takes up the Psalms, we recognize that the Psalms are the songs of Jesus. They were the soundtrack of his life. We actually learn more about Jesus' crucifixion from Psalm 22 than of all of the Gospels. Because this God doesn't just give us a hymnal. He gives us himself. The Father sends the Son and the Spirit to call back a people from their siren songs. God's been singing a song of redemption all along. That's why a thousand years ago, a psalm like Psalm 22 predicts Jesus, prophesies Jesus' death by crucifixion. You're like, what are you talking about? Psalm 22, verse 16. They have pierced my hands and feet. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. You see, when we sing the psalms, there is a voice that sings above us all, and that is the voice of Jesus. Psalm 22, verse 22 says, I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Here's the thing that's amazing about that verse. Hebrews 2, look it up. Hebrews 2 puts those words from Psalm 22 in the mouth of Jesus. In other words, Jesus' work was to bring us back into the harmony of the Trinity so that he could be our worship leader. Whenever we gather together and we sing the psalms, we are caught up in the song of the Son to the Father. Psalm 22, 3 says God is enthroned on the praises of his people. And so when we gather together and sing together, Jesus is in our midst singing louder than any of us because singing is the right response to redemption. If you don't believe me, look at Exodus. Exodus chapter 14, God leads his people through the Red Sea out of slavery, and and then Exodus 15 comes the song of Moses. Jesus is a new Moses. And so we, being baptized into him, led through the waters of baptisms, now we sing, because singing is the right response to redemption. As I close, I just want to look at how do we sing the Psalms? How do we actually do this? Well, first, let's recover the Psalms. In 1739, Benjamin Franklin said this, one cannot walk through Philadelphia in the evening without hearing psalms sung in different families of every street. That was in Philly. And then he goes on to describe, and and this is true, is that the, the, the psalms were actually the first book ever published in America. That's remarkable. It's because the Psalms have always been the soundtrack of the saints until recently where they've fallen out of favor. Let's be real for a moment here. The Holy Spirit has given us a hymnal, but we prefer hymns and Hillsong. And listen, I'm not against Hillsong. I actually love it. In 2009, when I became a believer, that very day, I was singing with my hands in the air, singing Mighty to Save. It was my jam. Christian contemporary music has its place, but like ice cream, it can never be the main course. We wonder why the church is so malnourished. And so listen, when we lean into the Holy Spirit hymnal, this book that God gave to his people for all times and all places, we're caught up in the songs that Jesus and the apostles sang, that the medieval monasteries sang, from the hymns of the Reformation to the spirituals of African slaves, even to the church today, the psalms have always been the soundtrack of the saints, and we need to recover them. This is why I've actually spent a long time curating a playlist on Spotify uh, of some of the best psalms I can find out there. 
so that you have it accessible to you. We sent it out in the Connect for the last two weeks. And so what this does is I'm trying to bring, bring together this balance of biblical eloquence and musical excellence. And I'm missing a lot of psalms, like 50 of them, because we need to recover the psalms and we need to record the psalms. That's point two. This is how we sing the songs. We need to record the psalms. Music is one of the chief expressions of culture. The psalms are the womb of the church's music. The Psalter produces culture. And so as we take up these psalms, we need to write new renditions of them. And as we do it, we need to hold the tension of tradition and innovation. Let me give you an example. In 1970, a Jamaican band called the Melodians released a version of Psalm 137. If you don't know that one, it's pretty harsh. Uh, and, and in this releasing of it, it was called Rivers of Babylon. It was recorded as a Rastafarian song, and it became the number one song in Jamaica that year. Pause. A psalm became the number one song in Jamaica that year. How? Why? Because as these black Jamaicans took up this song, they sang because of the centuries of slavery, colonialism, and oppression of the African people. And so what this means is they could identify with the original Hebrews in Babylon, and so they cried out for justice, resonating with the anguish of Psalm 137. No matter who, whoever or wherever, the Psalms are the soundtrack of the saints. Peter Lightheart puts it like this, God made us to make music and to be made by the music we make. I just want to commend to you guys right now Josh Kessler. Because he has led our congregation in rewriting the Psalms for us to be sung. That's an incredible gift. And Josh brings together biblical fluency, musical excellency, and soul transparency in a way that few other people know how to do. And so we need to recover the Psalms. We need to record the Psalms. And finally, we need to resound with the Psalms. What I mean by that is if you were to read the Psalms, you will read things like shout, lift up your hands, lift up your voices, sing, dance, cry out. I'm not going to ask you to dance, but listen, if you want to be biblical, you have to sing the Psalms with gusto. John Wesley put it like this, sing lustily. I'm not even going to go there. Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. This is hard because in our age of authenticity, we think that if we don't emotionally feel it, then we'd be hypocrites for raising our hands. A very biblical thing to do, by the way. And so I get it. I really do because I don't really want to fake it till I make it either. And Isaiah gives us a really stern warning when he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But that doesn't mean you have to feel it before you can sing it. Psalm 51 says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Maybe music is the means of molding your emotions. Maybe as you sing these loudly, your emotions, which are disordered just like the rest of you, your emotions need to be made right. They're just as much in need of rescue as the rest of you. Maybe music is the means of doing that. And so we joke here around the staff about this, this metric we have called HPS, which means hands per song. Because sometimes if y'all are feeling it, I look out and I see everybody's hands up in the air. That means it was a win. What if instead of feeling it leading to raising our hands, we took up Psalm 63 verse 4. I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. What if it was always just a response to who God is, not about 
what's going on inside of us. And so pray, oh Lord, open my lips and then lift up your hands and sing with all your heart because as we recover and record and resound with the Psalms, they will once again become the soundtrack of the saints. Let's pray. Father, you have put your words in our lips. You've given us language to speak back to you. What a good father you are. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Let us be receptive. Let us be those who take up the Psalms and sing them loudly to your glory. Lord Jesus, we know that you are the singer of the Psalms. We know that these are your songs, your hymnal. We ask that you would help us to join with you in singing the Psalms of the saints. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.